Well, what time is it? Time to start? Let me pray for us. Father, please allow us to uh, focus tonight and to learn something new and to be refreshed on something that we already know, hopefully. And just let us take what we hear and use it moving forward and to share it with others. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Amen. I'll save us some time at the end to do to do prayer like we like we're used to. How's that sound tonight? If somebody wants to lead us in that, that'd be great. I'm just kidding. I'll do it. All right. Does anybody want to read chapter five for me? If not, I can do it. First Timothy chapter five. That is. All right. I got it. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers. What did I mess up? Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his, his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows. I'm sorry, there's a period in there. I'm getting distracted. But refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. 
I built this study reading NLT, so I'm stumbling over the phrasing of this ESV. I should not do that any longer. Lesson learned. Okay, so chapter one, a review of First uh, Timothy. Chapter one, Paul warns Timothy against false teachers, uh, and Jesus, and 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 he tells Timothy that Jesus came to save, to save sinners, which of course Timothy already knew. Chapter 2 says, pray for all people. Men are responsible for some things, and women are responsible for others. And there is one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus, no one else. Chapter 3 is an outline of church government, and that pastors and deacons within a church body must meet a certain standard. The theme of chapter 4 is apostasy within the church, and the theme of chapter 5 is how we're to treat one another and how we're to care uh, for certain people in certain ways and sort of not you know people we shouldn't enable people uh, based on the fact that their family should first seek to take care of them as they as they said about widows and there's other stuff in here too so verses one through four Paul tells Timothy to respect older people I'll read these again just so that everybody that missed can hear it again. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, and all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So Paul tells Timothy to respect older people within the church as he would respect his own parents. This does not mean that older people should be held less accountable. Paul simply says that they should be corrected with gentleness as he would treat his own parents. Paul tells Timothy to treat younger men as he would treat his brothers. And I found this interesting because I think the lack of gentleness, I, I, it makes me think of the lack of gentleness between brothers such as Sins and Parker. You know, they just sort of slap each other around. And and really as I, as I analyze that, we, we probably should, you know, if if I if Steve is sinning or if if Steve finds me in sin, I would not I should not find it offensive if he says, Hey, stop doing X, Y, and Z. Why are you doing that? Right? We should we, we should be holding each other accountable. But if we need to what it's saying is older people need to be treated with more gentleness, according to Paul. I do believe what Paul is saying is that younger men don't need to be treated with the same amount of gentleness. Timothy is told to treat everyone respectfully, of course, but everyone is, a different, is at a different life stage, and Paul is advising Timothy to recognize this. Verse 2, Paul gives Timothy further direction on how to treat old and young women. Old women are supposed to be treated as a mother should be treated, and young women should be treated as sisters with purity emphasized. I enjoy these four verses and how they analyze the church as a family. We are a church family here, and we should be treated as such. This means that we should seek to love and understand one another in all situations. So question number one is, how does this family dynamic of church life ring true at Bellevue? Does anybody have any good examples of that over the years? It always takes y'all a while to get warmed up. How does the family dynamic of church life ring true at Bellevue? Clock's talking. (laughs) 
Just because I'm the oldest doesn't mean that I get all the <laughs> Well, I think of our previous church because that's where all my experience was gained and I, I can think of people. Of course, you know, we hear a lot in churches or I've heard a lot in my short time in church that, you know, everybody's clicky, click, click, click. Like you can't connect with all like I think last week there were 190 people here, 191. Well, you can't connect with every single person on the same level. You, and so I'm not saying that we should in, intentionally click, create clicks, but but I can think of people in my past, uh, like this woman named Jennifer Durling was kind of like my spiritual, uh, I, I saw, she was like a mother to me, sort of, uh, in a spiritual sense. Like I would go to her for certain things. She raised three boys, so uh, she gave me a lot of advice on raising boys, and of course I had plenty of brothers, and uh, the guy that I always talk about, Mac, he was like, uh, he, he was sort of like a Paul figure. He was sort of like a father and a brother figure, depending on the day. Uh, does anybody have any any thoughts on that? I grew up here, and I there are a few women that throughout you know my years, I I just grew because of their because of their mentorship. You know, they knew what I wanted to become. Um, and there, there's not one specific thing about any of them, but there was just something that they did that I, I wanted to carry that on after they left because that's that to me was just what we're supposed to do is carry on those, those traits of godly women. You know, that's something. And on the other hand, I, I never had any biological brothers, but... It wasn't until I stopped to think about all the brothers I have in Christ that I have here in church, and you know, that's that's such a gift that I wouldn't have if I I didn't have church. Mm -hmm. I know I can't speak for like over the years, just a few years, <laughs> longer than that, but I know that's one of the things that you know drew us here was how do they just make you feel like part of the family. And I know, you know, with the, the women's group that I go to, you know, it's, it's very, you just feel supported and you can share and, you know, you don't have to worry about are they going to go gossip about me. And it's just, it truly feels like a sisterhood to me. And, you know, I make some of them take trips together and, you know, it's, they talk very much about being we're sisters in Christ. You know? So I definitely feel like you know I can talk to them and they're people that I'm sure would say, you know, I mean I know that if I was I came to them and had they would they would tell me if I would, you know, it's like no you shouldn't you shouldn't do that, do this, kinda. Of. Mm -hmm. All right, verses three and four, which I'm not going to read again because I've already read it twice. Speaks about widows, and the Greek word for widow in the Bible is pronounced kera, I think, and it means deprived, cut off, stripped bare, or abandoned. In the Bible, a widow is a woman 
bereft of the full provision or flourishing that could be provided by a husband or family. And the English definition of a widow is a woman who has lost her spouse or partner by death and usually has not remarried. And I remember when I first uh, started taking classes at seminary, I was young in my faith, and I still am in many ways, but but I noticed that Greek and Hebrew was an emphasis, and I thought, my goodness, I don't know that I'll ever get to the point in time that I need to study Greek or Hebrew, you know? But, but as you think about languages, like just these two definitions mean, mean something a little different. Like our English definition of words just sort of gets watered down. So if we analyze, sometimes we really need to go back to the original language to understand fully what a word means. And I think the Greek the Greek definition just means like it just there's a further emphasis on um, provision from a husband like a, a widow a husband and wife team provide for one another in the English um, it just doesn't didn't seem to have that emphasis to me so so Paul is speaking about every woman who's Paul isn't speaking about every woman whose husband has died when he references widows. Paul is speaking about women within the church whose husbands have died and have no other family to take care of them. This is where the abandoned portion of the Greek definition comes into play. Caring for family is a command from God. Honor your father and mother. So biblically, a widow's children should care for her in her time of need. And when and if that system fails, Paul is saying it's the church's duty to step in and care for that widow. And he also references uh, age, the age of 60 years old. So he's basically saying the way, the way I read a lot of, of this stuff, and I think I cover it later, is like we can't, we have to be selective we as people and we as the church, we can't save the world. We can't, we can't, we shine a light and we do what we can, but we can't take in every single person that we encounter. And if a, if a, if a widow has a family, especially a Christian family, the family should be taken care of her. That's the way I read these things. And if not, then it's the church's responsibility to step up. It's not to say that we can't make an effort to, to care for widows. That's not what it means. But like what what he is saying, if if she is abandoned and left totally alone with no family, you need to go the extra mile to take care of a widow in that case. And you gotta remember that they didn't have the uh, welfare system that like we got. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was another place that they could go. Factories, you know, went out, could draw Social Security, and but back then days, yeah, if their family turns back on them, they had nothing. Yeah, that's a good point. In the King James, it says, uh, "But if any widow have children or nephews, then translate the words nephews as descendants." And in some ethnic groups, any of the older people are referred to as aunts and uncles, whether they're related to you or not. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like one big family. Yeah. All together. So that the widow definition would be like very, there would be, there should be very, very, very few, you would think, because somebody would step up and, and care for them, it seems to me like, but maybe not. 
verses 5 through 8. Uh, if I can find it. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I have a note to read this excerpt from everybody's best friend, John Calvin. Paul says widows hope in God in the same way that he said the unmarried set their hearts on pleasing God as their affections can be entirely given over to God and are not divided as married people's affections are. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair, or should be, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of, of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. And that references from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul means that widows have nothing to distract them from their single-minded devotion to God, for they are not relying on the world in any way. God is commending them for this. When human resources and all other assistance is withdrawn, it is the church's duty to step in and help such people. Pastors must help childless, destitute widows. Sorry. So, uh, Paul's telling Timothy that a widow is like an unmarried man and that her main focus should be serving the Lord and she has, as she has no other worldly distractions. So question number two for you all. In a world full of distractions such as marriage, children, hobbies, idols, what are steps that we can take to make our relationship with the Lord the primary focus of our life? I hate to say that marriage is a distraction, but it is in many ways as we relate it to our relationship with the Lord and children and hobbies. So what are steps that we can take to make our relationship with the Lord the primary focus of our life? I've got a alarm set on my phone. It goes off every morning at 6 a.m. telling me to get up and start the day with God. So when I get up and I go in and I start with my devotions for the day and reading some scriptures and otherwise I just get up and start that. So I've got an alarm set to remind me. So once I can get in that camera, I can turn the alarm on and just be an automatic thing. That's a good one. <laughs> Anybody else taking steps to make sure their relationship with the Lord is primary? I've been trying to spend some real time Sunday afternoon. Uh, resting, like not sleeping, not watching TV, not vegging on or playing with my friend, like actually thinking about those things, and that's helped a lot. Yeah, those things do help a lot. You try to make church services your different services on Sunday and Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Makes a big difference when you commit fully to that stuff. What steps am I taking? I reading this, it gets gets down later on. He talks about um, I'm not going to read it verbatim, but he t Paul tells Timothy to 
he tells him to drink wine to take care of his health. I, that has health benefits or whatever, as far as the water goes, I think. Maybe he had gut rot from the water, I don't know. But it just made me think like, my goodness, I really don't take very good care of my health. I don't pay attention to the foods I eat. I just eat whatever and I don't exercise. And this week I've been making valiant attempts to cut out things that I don't need and to move my body and just to take better care of myself, not for vanity, but just like to have the energy and the desire to feel well and to um, just be more intentional about everything I do, like not to eat junk and and just be lazy in my times of rest or whatever, I don't know. When they were young, you would get by with it. But it catches up with you. Yeah, I'm starting to, starting to notice that. <laughs> I think one thing you know, going through whatever, what all y'all said, just a disciplined approach to your worship. I mean, you have a certain set time every day that you you sit down and you read your Bible and you pray to God. And if you don't have that, if you're just, you know, whenever I catch a moment, I'll, I'll pray, or whenever I catch a moment, I'll read my Bible or whatever. It's just it's one of the things that doesn't happen. You're not putting him first. And mm-hmm. Your prayer life, your time with God, your whole life suffers because of that. Yeah, somebody asked me, this was a couple months ago, Somebody, one of my friends was going through something, and he said, what can I do to... He, he just sort of like was a... I, he just wasn't really taking his faith very seriously. And, and I, he said, what, what can I do to make that better? I said, you just got to be consistent. Just keep going when you don't want to go to Bible studies and just keep showing up on a consistent basis. We're not always going to be super fired up to come here. Like 6.30, oh, it's time to go to church. Yeah, we're not going to always be like thrilled by that. But if we keep, if we stay consistent, we, growth will happen. And I don't know where he's at with all that right now, but that's the best advice I had to give at the time. So, marriage and children are a gift from God, and verse 8 states that people who don't care for those within their own household have denied the true faith, and that such people are worse than non-believers. And we will cover that more in a minute. Someone please read and analyze verse 6 and what it means to you. Let me read it to myself. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead, even while she lives. And I, I have here, it says substitute widow for person also. But the person who is self-indulgent is dead even while they live. What's that, what's that mean to you? I think going back to, you know, you were talking about widows. If, if you have a widow who, you know, needs help from the church, and yet you're, you're helping this widow out, but she's you know running out and you know spending money on alcohol or wild living or you know uh, whatever it is, whatever unwholesome, yeah, unwholesome, yeah, selfish, unwholesome thing it is that she's doing. Then you know, I mean, you're you're spinning your wheels. You're not really helping her. You're just enabling her to continue her bad behaviors. Yeah. But she's not doing anything to strengthen her relationship with Christ or with, with God. So she's, even though she's alive, she is spiritually dead. 
I think it's sort of happened with BJ. Has a good example of this is he had an aunt who was the most saintly woman, and she she lived for other people. She took homeless people in. She worked at the homeless shelter until she was like what eighty. Yeah. She was in her Yeah. And, and she kept doing those things. And then BJ would go and do all things for her. And then there was a, another woman that was a widow. And she just lived for herself. And you know, finally, you just kind of had to realize that that's just what she was going to do. And concentrate on the, the one that you could help versus spinning your wheels. Mm-hmm. Like she would give it over herself to self indulgence, and there wasn't any yeah and that's what he outlines in in the first couple chapters he, or he's what does he say i don't know where it is but he basically there's a criteria you know if if she has served others and lived a godly life then <clears throat> return the yeah and, and i think what was interesting about it i, I never thought about it until just just now but he was bj was trying to help both of these these widows and he would come home with such peace and joy and be filled with the spirit when he would help sweet Rita out. And then they he just home heartbreak and drained. I just wasted all my time. <laughs> like he wanted to do good, but didn't good. Yeah. That's kind of I think I just there's two widows this kind of You know, I think that's a kind of a point that I was trying to make earlier is that like we can't we can't uh, we can't serve everyone all the time. Like we, we need to be hyper focused on who we do serve. And like some of these verses are are weird and confusing, but I, I'm grateful that they exist because it gives us a God. Like, let's not enable people. Let's try to help them initially, and we need to persist some. But if it if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Like we're not Superman, you know. That's a bad. I shouldn't bring fictional characters into this but uh, I think you get the point my thoughts about this were if we're seeking personal pleasure constantly we are ignoring commands from God there isn't time to seek personal pleasure and seek first the kingdom of God now that doesn't mean we can't sometimes we we need to enjoy life but that doesn't need to be like we don't need to have a posture of self-indulgence and I'm preaching to myself here. There are only 16 hours in a day for us to be active, and they should be filled with God-honoring activity, not self-indulgence. And rest is a God-honoring activity, but it is outlined biblically how we are supposed to rest. We don't self-indulge for a year and go on a one-week mission trip to make up for lost time. We are to work for six days and rest for one. <laughs> Verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he is he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Why do you all think this that verse makes me really nervous? But it's so true in our culture, people just neglect their families. Why do you all think we see so much family neglect in our culture? The world has become selfish. And it's just, you know, because it, people have, have pulled away from God completely, you know. It's, it's, it's tough watching it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's like people, even in marriage, uh, you know, the initial steps of marriage mostly now are just lustful desire. It's not true biblical love. So we just set ourselves up for failure from the get-go. And that's that's how, unfortunately, that's how Heather and I started. But we came out of that, and now we're living... Uh, in a biblical way, like we our, our relationship wasn't founded on biblical principles, but we've gotten around to it, and I'm I'm real excited about that because it would have it would have been bad in a hurry if not. But um, the people people won't commit. First off, they won't commit to God, and then they won't even they won't commit to each other, and then they don't commit to their children. It's just a everybody's so selfish that it's just all about me, me, me all the time. You know, in the initial stages of the relationship and then the relationship gets bad, but but then you have kids. So not only are you abandoning your spouse, you abandon your kids and it's all... And I'm willing to minister to your own immediate family because I your church family or people within your community. So if you're not going to take care of your your immediate family, you're not going to take care of everybody outside that family. Mm-hmm. I had a state trooper tell me just before Christmas they delivered toys and clothes to needy families. That next night he pulled a guy over being drunk. When he was trying to get his driver license out, uh, Pawn tickets fell out of your pocket. So he picked up the pawn tickets and called the dispatcher and said, Check and see what was pawned on these tickets. It was clothes and toys. He said, I took him to jail and he wouldn't tell me what county it happened in, but he said he was drunk, so they stripped him down and hosed him down and put him in the drunk cell. And he said, That was a concrete bed their drum set. There were no blankets, no nothing. So they put him in there for that night to sober up, to sleep on that concrete bed. He goes down to the pawn shop and says, I'd like to get these back. Told him the story, and the guy said, I ain't giving you nothing unless you pay for it. He said, that's fine. He said, tomorrow morning there'll be a cruiser sitting out here in front of your pawn shop. There'll be a uniform officer in here. We're going to check everything in this pawn shop. He said, I left with the clothes, the toy, and additional donations for that family. <laughs> so, I mean, he didn't take care of his own family. He took away from them to get the alcohol mm-hmm. for his own personal use. But he said, I think how he spent the night on that concrete buck in that drop cell closed down and he said his attitude might change some so marriage children and other family relationships are a gift from god but people enter these relationships without realizing that they are god ordained they are god ordained gift and system thus when times get tough they flee and when life sometimes when life in church gets difficult uh, people leave which is unfortunate but the whole point of me saying that was i think people just i just see it everywhere people won't commit to anything except personal pleasure and it's awful 
and we see what it leads to. Verses 9 and 10, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So, Paul is saying only to take care of widows who live faithful, respectful, and good lives. Verses 11 through 15, but refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have the younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. So young widows were likely to remarry, which meant that they didn't need to be cared for in a special way by the church. These verses about which widows are acceptable to be helped by the church and which ones weren't made me ponder a couple of things. And we've kind of covered a little bit, but this is a question. How intentional should we be about how, who, where, and what, I don't know about why, how, who, and where we serve outside the walls of this church? And another reason I ask this question is because I'm trying to figure out how to, like who to focus on or where to focus mission efforts, whether it be, obviously we need to focus around the church and uh, and I would like to have a regional focus and I don't know what that is and I would like to have a global focus. So I'm, I, I just think, how do you pin down those things? You know what I'm saying? Is anybody, is that tracking with anybody? Like how do you, it's so, the need, needs are all around us and if we try to, I don't, know, I don't want to say fix them all, but you can just get bogged down in thinking, man, there's so many people that need so many things. I don't even know where to start. And then you do nothing. So how do you, how intentional should we be about how, who, and where we serve? Well, the church, through the uh, association, answers part of that. Because the farm fields, I mean, they, one church and normal can't afford to have a missionary of your own. Mm-hmm. So several churches go together in the association and yeah. help fund missionaries in the farm field and in, on the home front. Whether it's the chapel at the racetrack or wherever. This church has always uh, participated. I think pretty much the industry doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, reaching out to the needs. But it's good to have a reference. You know, is this a real need? Mm-hmm. Uh, versus you know, just because uh, there have been people walked in and you know, I need this. I need that. You come to find out. <laughs> they may not need it. Yeah, and I think I think that's what Paul is the point he's getting at. He says uh, there are things that we can and can't do, and I think Paul's warning to Timothy was not to <coughs> enable young widows to be lazy and helpless. 
And we should heed the same warning. The main charge of the church is to advance the gospel and we are to love one another along the way. Sometimes loving one another means not enabling one another. Verse 16. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. This is just a review of what he's been saying the whole time. Verses. I'm like learning now. Okay. Okay, so there's two words that are catching my mind here. The first one's in verse 9. Mm -hmm. Enrolled. And then the second one that I learned now is pledged. Because uh, um, they won't break, renounce their original pledge is in verse 12. I think enrolled in verse 9 just means accepted for this enrolled on the list. system of care. But, yeah, but the reason I guess I'm kind of questioning that, like it, it, it almost seems like this is more formal because in verse 12 we have this, for they will receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. And then this sounds like there was a deeper system here. Just, I mean, it, it's it's a nerd thing. It's just drawing me in a little much here. But it sounds like that there's some type of specific system that they they have in place here, and they they're joining this. But then if they go back on it, that that draws like a condemnation. Yeah, like maybe the early church was helping them in an exchange they served. Yeah, there just seems like there's a deeper context here. I wish I had something to add, but I just yeah. don't. <laughs> Mary does. I'm reading it the same way as you all are. And, you know, it, they're. Uh, it's just a curiosity that. Who was put on a list for support must be a woman who was at least 60 years old and, faithful, and was faithful to her husband. So it seems like you, know, you, you had to meet a certain criteria to be put on this list. And you know later on, like you said, um, uh, the the that verse nine, I did read that uh, that the age of sixty years old was because a woman who was sixty and had been married to one man was not likely to get remarried. So that was sort of the criteria for that. King James this is what not a widow be taken to the under three score years old. I got hung up on enrolled, so I didn't even hear her the next uh, word she was in 12. This is having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And then, yeah, it seems like in 15. Way the mind reads, you know, for I am afraid that some of them have already gone astray and now fall to Satan. It just seems like it's, you know, there's some kind of criteria or some, some, something that they have to abide by in order to continue to receive the support. So the book of Ruth talks a lot about, like, young widows and like Ruth and her mother in law. And I'm guessing her mother in law was a bit older. <laughs> so they have a kinsman redeemer structure where the next of kin would get to marry a widow um, and, and raise the children in the name of the other father. It's, it's 
I don't know if we solved the problem. And then you just abandon the room. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Verses 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. John Calvin's notes say, Paul wanted those who taught and preached to gain their living teaching and preaching. The world could not care less about supporting ministers of the word, and Satan uses this to deprive the church of teachers by frightening many away with the threat of poverty so that they are unwilling to shoulder such a burden. And I decided to share a story here about my experience with Bellevue. So as, I, as, I, as this situation, this job here became a reality, um, I was talking to Dale on the phone a lot, and we didn't talk about pay. That was I hate. To, I don't like talking about money. I don't really like even thinking about money. And I thought in my mind, okay, if if Tink, you're going to do this, I picked a number. I I, I mean, I, I have to take care of my family, so I had to pick a number. I was like, I can't do this. I think my, I think the number I wavered between. I knew there was a house, and I thought. Forty-five thousand. I can't. I'm. I'm not gonna go. And this, again, this money thing. It's hard to even talk about. But I thought, I'm not. I, I can't. I don't think I can do it for less than forty-five thousand. Of course, Heather can come up here and get a job, and we'll be fine. But I just thought, you know, I have. A, I'm getting ready to uproot. We're getting. We are getting ready to uproot everything. So in my mind. 45,000 was the number. And the you, the pay is public, y'all have all seen it, far exceeds 45,000, which was just, uh, yeah, which was um, a huge relief. You know, I thought, I have no reason not to go. Not that money was the only thing tying me back, but it, but it was, it's part of the equation, you know, for me to sell everything, uh, I can't just go starve under a bridge. And so when the when when the talk about the the pay came up, I was just like, oh yeah, I, yes, the answer is yes to that, you know, and just that's what this that's what uh, Paul is saying to Timothy here that pastors what's he say? Pastors should be paid to teach and preach, which is also weird because I don't think. Somebody would have to fact check this. I think only within the last like 200 years have pastors really been paid. Is that James? What do you think? They've been paid as long as we've been. Well, <laughs> this church is unique and that it's that old. They to give them whiskey so they can barter it. I've heard that several times. <laughs> so I share that to say that. Bellevue Baptist didn't scare me off with the threat of poverty, and I'm grateful for that. I wasn't, I wasn't seeking pastoral jobs from other churches, so I spent uh, almost no time attempting to figure out finances until this situation became a reality, and um, the the financial side of things was great, and I'm grateful for that. You got to remember when this arose, you know, the disciples went from. Oh, church to church or town to town. And they had no income. 
no association mm -hmm. back in then it was just when they got to the church the church took care of them. yeah we were i mean i, I haven't looked at how you know the baptists did it but um you know reading a lot of history especially from the state of kentucky um, methodist pastors of the late 17 early 1800s when they traveled that's how they traveled they relied on whatever town or whatever place they went to to support them to take them in and pals and feed them and Homes are following the will of God, and, that's when, and they know that, and their faith is that God is going to provide for me. So they went on that their faith, just like you came on your faith. Yeah, you had in your mind you had a number, but God exceeded that number because you followed Him in faith. Even you know, when Jesus sent the disciples out, the apostles, though. He told them to go and like whatever, like find a house, a believer, stay with them, and you know that they were to take care of them. And when they no long, and when they didn't any longer, dust the feet off your shoes and walk out. Exactly. <clears throat> You're not looking for a jet or anything. Anymore. A jet. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have said anything about money. <laughs> Verse 19. <laughs> yeah, you probably have one in several pieces, don't you? We could put together. <laughs> Verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. My interpretation of this was pastors are more exposed than other people within the church. Everyone's eyes are on the pastor. Paul's warning Timothy that false accusations may come, and if they do, they need to be confirmed by several people before they are brought to light. Pastors are human too. Pastors are human too. Pastors are human too. Pastors are human too. <laughs> And they are bound to make mistakes from time to time. The difference is that they have several eyes on them and they can't hide. Any thoughts on that? Pastors are human too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pastors are human too. But any Christian has the same eyes on them. Yeah. The loss is like a Christian instead. Is that the way they suppose it is? Mm-hmm. I think we just expect more, and for good reason. I mean, he gives he gives qualifications in a couple passages or a couple chapters back for for an overseer should meet this criteria. So, if if a person has been chosen based on that criteria, and we think, oh yeah, that's our guy, and then our guy messes up, we're all like, how could he do that? You know? Well, pastors are human too. Pastors are human too. <laughs> Well, look at the, the psychic. How many times they stray? Yeah. And Cutting off people's ears and denying. <laughs> I, I think verse 19, I want to make sure we get that credit where it is, is to be to be careful with your accusations. You know, even if you think it, to, to not just jump on it, that it needs to be supported. It can't just be a. Yeah. It needs to be confirmed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you see you walking out of the floor, it doesn't mean you were in there drinking. You could have been in there. Somebody could have called you and said, hey, I need you, and you're there to go help them. But 
but somebody just sees you walking out of the bar and oh, our transfers are drunk, you know? So I mean, that's why I think also, you know, depending on, why you can't have pure proof of what the allegations are behind it. Because mm -hmm. you never know what the person is doing, you know, they could, could be doing something for forgotten, helping someone and not out. That's right. What you got, Mary? I know a Facebook page in Henry Live today. And it was about this man and instead of going through the yellow light, he stopped and the person behind him started acting really crazy, getting the bird and just cussing him out and everything. And while they were sitting at the red light, there was a knock on her window. And she looked up, there was a policeman on the back of her, her car. It had followed me to Sunday school, choose life, um, several other Christian things that said on there. What would Jesus think? And he said, you know, he said, I got to thinking, is this car stolen? So he took her to jail. <laughs> <laughs> And it was so many times we do things without thinking, and that's what made me think. Have I said something to somebody? That, can you imagine how she looked with this car and all these signs of Jesus, and was she acting like that? So we've got to watch how we act in front of our neighbors or whoever <clears throat> to let them know that we do follow Jesus. Where it's coming to church or staying home. I've had my neighbor in Indiana said, What's the matter with you? You didn't go to church tonight. And I couldn't explain to her why, because I've been sick. But people watch out for everything you do. And if you're a Christian proclaiming Christ, you better live like a Christian. That's my take on the nonsense. I like it. And I agree with that. We better speed up. Verses 20 and 21. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that they so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. So we are all charged with living dignified and glory-filled lives if we are saved. I think these verses are a warning that not only will our sins be judged by God, they will also be judged by man. Verse 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. And the NLT version I was studying from said, and this is weird because it just doesn't seem to align in my mind, and I don't even know why I made note of it, but Verse 22 in the NLT says, never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. So ESV says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. And NLT says, never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. What's King James say? Verse 22. Clean hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins, keep thyself pure. I guess that makes sense though, because he's, he's referencing church leadership, right? I'm questioning. Laying on pants, does that mean like laying on the pants like praying for somebody or knocking somebody out? I, 
<laughs> yeah, I think it's an. My next note says the Greek. In the Greek, it says about the laying on of hands. I guess the way that they translated it was never being in a hurry about playing a church leader. Mm -hmm. And that follows another. I can't remember like like where it came from, but there's another that don't be too hasty to take a new Christian and, and put them into you know, a leadership position right away. Yeah, what's that? I shepherd's which he covers in one of the chapters here so my little laughable note says, Bellevue certainly took heed to this warning, and I'm grateful for that. They were not in a hurry to appoint a church leader. <coughs> what did you say, James? Two years and ten months without a pastor? That's right. Yeah. You all took your time. Maybe not intentionally that long. but. Uh, and then the, that verse also says, Keep yourself pure. Make your aim to live a godly life. Verse 23. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. And I covered my notes about this earlier. That this, I don't think he's necessarily encouraging him. The wine thing is weird. I don't know. Wine, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, that wine was a... Maybe they drank wine for enjoyment some, but it was mostly health reasons because of bad water, we think. Um... So Paul is just simply telling Timothy to take care of his health, I think, and he will be of no use to the kingdom of God if he doesn't take care of himself. Yeah, Bible just says it was unclear why Paul gave this advice to Timothy. Perhaps contaminated with water that led to Timothy's indigestion, so he should stop drinking only water. Yeah. Maybe had some severe anxiety and needed a little wine. <laughs> Who knows? Paul knew. Uh, let's see here. Where are we at? Here's a question. This is a good thought for all of us. How are you taking care of yourself so that you can be of use to the kingdom? And we have two more verses after that. Anybody want to share how you're taking care of yourself so that you can be of use to the kingdom? Same, but my my bursts of that are very short. Amen. All right, verses twenty-four and twenty-five. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not hidden remain hidden. 
These are my notes. I love the way my Bible notes explain. Well, these aren't my notes. These are my Bible's notes. I love the way my notes explain these verses. Paul called Timothy to confront his fellow church leaders who were living sinful lives. By confronting them about their failures, Timothy would save them from the consequences that they can that continued disobedience would bring them. Sometimes we must do the same for people we love by holding each other accountable to God's guideline for living. We help each other preserve spiritual gains and experience the life God has for us. So the whole point of this is Paul's telling Timothy, the whole point of this book is just instruction for leadership that we should treat each other with brotherly affection, that older folks should be treated uh, with more gentleness by younger folks, but we should all, this is this is a charge to Christian, from Christian to Christian, we are to hold each other accountable. That doesn't mean we need to go, if we think about it in our our time, we don't, we can't go, we can't hold lost people to the same level of accountability. We can't go and I said something about the gay pride parade. We can't go into the gay pride parade and holler and scream like y'all are all doomed to hell. I mean, so is every lost person. Okay. That's not what Paul, this is Christian to Christian accountability. Now, when, when, when a person is saved, they're held to the same standard, but but I, in the in the beginning of this, I said uh, or the note said that everybody's at a different phase of life. So if Steve has been a Christian for twenty five years, my gentleness with him might be far less than Andrew, who's been a Christian right when he walked through that door. And I, I'm just kidding, but but we have to like gauge these things. We can't just go in guns blazing all the time. We need to operate with gentleness. One shoe don't fit off. Say again? One shoe doesn't fit off. That's right. And that's that's a big part of what he's saying here, I think. It's just telling us to be mindful in all things. My favorite my favorite verse in we have one more chapter of First Timothy, but my favorite verse is uh, 416 keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching persist in this for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers and it's just saying my goodness you got to pay attention to everything you do you got to pay attention to what widows you care for and you don't need you don't need to care for all of them their family should be caring for them right so this whole book is just an outline of guidelines that church leaders and church people, Christians, need to be followed. Any questions? we got one more chapter, and then we're going to do a video study on uh, 2 Timothy so that I don't have to spend 10 hours preparing the study. I'm starting another seminary class next week. So that's going to be real time. No, no, no Bible study next No, there is... Uh, Oh, because of the fair. Yep. Don't come here next Wednesday. But the next Wednesday, come. <laughs>